Before we get started on the podcast, I need to make it very clear that this is a test version of the podcast. So there might be a couple weird sounds. If you're watching the video version, there's gonna be a couple weird cuts because the alternate cameras both died mid-production, but that's why we do the test versions and I'm posting it to you because I still think that it's valuable, I still think it's interesting, and I hope that you agree. Anyway, thanks for watching and I will see you in a second. Everything's rolling and we are going to roll the intro in three, two, one. I want this experience to inspire you into taking a journey with me inside your mind to engage your senses with this miraculous alchemy of sound and light. Welcome everybody to the Michael Manis audio experience. It's an experience of sound. It's an experience of light if you're watching it on YouTube. And it's an experience of alchemy regardless of where you're experiencing it. Um, that was just a little thing someone sent me on Instagram. I thought it'd be a good way to open the podcast. Either way, today we're doing a test episode of this very podcast, something that I want to be doing on a regular basis. And since it's a test episode, I just need to clarify, this isn't what it's going to sound like, this isn't what it's going to look like if you're watching it on YouTube. If you can see in the wide camera, then you can also see that the microphone is propped up on a Pelican case, my apartment looks like shit, and you might even be able to see that I'm wearing sweatpants. Um, if you look in the guest camera, you will see nothing. That's because there's no guest today, it's just me and you. That said, just because it's a test podcast doesn't mean it's not going to be value. It's not going to be not. It's not going to be valuable. It's not going to be interesting. It is going to be valuable and it is going to be interesting. Today we're going to be talking about what to do when a client refuses to pay you for your work and how to prevent that situation in the first place. After that, we're going to get into some questions that were viewer submitted and some tips about dealing with clients that were submitted by you guys on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to be part of that on the first episode and f episodes after that, um, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at filmmiker. Filmmiker. It's filmmaker with two M's and an I instead of, all right, I really fucked that up. It's filmmiker. Filmmiker. One word. That's the best that way that I can explain it. I, I'm, it's a shit username. Anyway, Today, before I get into everything, uh, today's episode is brought to you by nothing. It's brought to you by me. Obviously, there's no sponsors for this podcast, but I do want to talk about my new content schedule that I already have implemented, that's already underway, um, and it mainly involves uh, this podcast every single Monday, first of all, so there's going to be four podcasts a month, uh, an Insta vlog on my Instagram every two weeks. So that's going to be behind the scenes on projects that I'm working on or just cool shit that I'm doing in my life. So twice a month, then once a month on my main channel, I'm going to be having a very high quality video, something that I can spend the month creating. I can dive really deep into and make something that's super, super high quality and as accurate and valuable as I can possibly make it. So subscribe to my YouTube channel, Follow me on all those social medias, and uh, I'm looking forward to rolling out all this stuff for you guys, especially the podcast. I've got some really great people lined up for the next couple of weeks, and uh, we'll see what happens after that. Anyway, for now, we might as well jump into it. Like I said, we're going to be talking about what to do when a client refuses to pay you, 
and how to prevent that situation by managing expectations. And that's the big part of this podcast is managing expectations. The best way to make sure that you get paid by your client is to be preemptive about it and to make sure that nothing goes a wire before you reach the end of the production. So how do you effectively manage expectations? Well, first say that before a creative, if you're a filmmaker, if you're a designer, if you're a musician, if you're working with clients in any capacity, before you're making anything, your most important job is to manage expectations. You are the gatekeeper between the clients and the creative world. Your client, is, we can assume, has no creative abilities or at least doesn't have the time to have creative abilities. Either way, it's your job to make sure that everything comes together smoothly. It's your job to communicate everything that needs to happen, exactly how much that's going to cost, and make sure that the wires don't get crossed in the middle. If your client says something wrong, it's your job to correct them. So managing expectations, that's the number one thing. A few ways that I manage expectations with dealing with clients specifically is to communicate everything I do through email. That is, if I go to a meeting with the client, then I'm going to be taking notes on my notepad and then at the end of the meeting, immediately when I get home or as soon as I have time, I'm going to take that list and boil it down into an email that I can send my client. That way there's a proper record of everything that we discussed during that meeting. So why is it important to make sure that everything's covered through email? Because this prevents you from getting fucked. Um, not only if you get into the situation where you know you have to bring it to court or something like that if they're not paying you, but if the client is claiming that you said something they didn't or you didn't or they said something that they didn't or that they don't owe you whatever money, having those emails and having them confirm them is the most valuable thing that you can have to point back to. Because as soon as they start saying, nah, you can go nah, back and take those emails, forward to them and say, sorry, you did say this and you also confirmed it. So obviously this isn't forcing anybody's hand, but people don't want to look like idiots. And it's a great way to sort of show your clients that, you know, you know what's up. Ideally, it'll never get to that point. Um, the confirmation is to prevent that sort of situation. But if that situation happens, if your client happens to be a bit of a jerk, you can have all that information backlogged and you can use it to your advantage later on. Um, the same thing with phone calls. If you're on a phone call with your client, you take notes, you put that in your email, you send it. Also, having an email is just, it's just a great place to, doing everything through email versus a Facebook Messenger is just a great way to have everything in one one place. That way you're not bouncing around between platforms. Another thing that is a great way to manage expectations and can sort of circumvent all this is uh, a contract. So a lot of people that I know, and this is sort of my thoughts that I had initially upon entering the filmmaking world, was that contracts aren't really that valuable because you know I'm not a lawyer, this isn't legally binding, it's not going to make anybody do anything. But the truth is, the value of a contract isn't in its ability to force somebody's hand, it's in the ability to communicate effectively everything that needs to happen on the shoot. So typically when a client emails me, the first thing that I do is I get a really good view of the project. I ask them as much information about the project as I can. I want to know what this project's going to look like from start to finish, from the graphics to the camera moves, everything, absolutely everything. That means I can create an informed opinion on how long it's going to take, who I'm going to need to hire, and 
how much it's going to cost for them and me. So having a contract is the perfect place to sort of take all this stuff that was put in the emails and you you put it all in the contract essentially. And then when they're signing off on it, basically, again, if they come back at you fighting, you can go back to the contract and see, no, clearly this was stated in the contract. Like, you know, if you don't read it, not my problem. It's in the contract. So again, it doesn't have to be legally binding. A contract, I mean, of course, it's nice if your contract's legally binding, but it doesn't have to be. The main point of a contract, from my perspective, is to communicate what's going to happen on the shoot from your perspective, what your responsibilities are, what the client's responsibilities are, and how much everything is going to cost. Some really good things that you should include in your contract to communicate effectively so you don't get fucked over later is a description of exactly what you're delivering. So that would be like, in my case, it's video. So it would be like, let's say three videos, two of them are one to two minutes, and then another one's five minutes. You know, that's just an example of what might be included in your description of deliverables. So you want to have exactly what you're going to create and, you know, uh, some rough parameters on what that's going to look like. Um, a description of work. Description of work is huge in your contract. You need it. It's huge. Humongous. You need a description of your work in your contract. Otherwise, who's to say what exactly you're doing and how long you're doing it for? So specifically in a description of work, in my case... I'll include, if we if it's a full shoot, if I'm bringing all my camera gear, then I'll, I'll put that I'm bringing my camera gear. If only bringing specific camera gear, if it's just like a camera operator job, I'll put that I'm only bringing my camera. If they have all the equipment already, I put that it's just me. Just me and my body. I don't include any extra gear. That's in the contract. That way there's no expectations. Um... <laughs> As well, you need to dictate how long you're going to work. This is a huge one. Like I said, the I already said that the description of work is huge. This is the hugest part of the description of work is how long you're going to work. And trust me, this has fucked me over a couple times and not being diligent enough on how long I'm going to work. I'm not going to say the production. I'm not going to say when I was on it. But I was on this production and the guy who brought me on seemed really, really nice. I agreed to everything essentially based on that, based on the fact that I trusted him and it seemed like a fun project. Um, it was supposed to be 10 to 12 hour days. And in the end, we were working 15 hour days. And by that point, I mean, it's easy to walk, but most people don't want to. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to leave the crew high and dry. It put me in a shitty situation where if I wanted to leave, I was screwing over other people in the crew. So I stayed and I worked those 15 to 18 hour days and I got paid no overtime and it was shit. So in your description of work, putting how long you're going to work, if you're a filmmaker specifically, um, and especially putting the timeline in how many days and how many hours is it going to be in your description or in your contract, then... <clears throat> Yeah, that's that's it's just, it's just a big it's very important because otherwise you're opening yourself up to get screwed over. Um, and I have here project timeline as well. Cost of services is huge. So, how long is that day going to be? Well, if it's going to be twelve hours, that's going to cost this much. Um, it's so cost of services again. That depends on exactly what you're doing. In my case, oh sorry, I'm definitely going to have to edit this podcast. I'm burping and burping like crazy. What's wrong with me? 
cost of services is like you know your a camera rental package. If I negotiate a camera rental package, that's going to be in the contract. Um, and then late fees. Late fees is not actually something I typically do. It's something that it's good to put in your contract because you can if you know if you're having real issues with a client, it it puts the fire on for them to pay you. You know you're like oh the the, the price is going up. But personally, I don't do it because. I, I'm a bit, I'm lenient on the contract. Like even with the description of work, if, if I agree to 12 hour day and we go to 13 hours, I'm not too upset. I'll be a little upset. I might talk with like somebody afterwards, but you can be lenient. The real point of the contract is so if someone's trying to screw you over, you can come back to the contract, point at it and say, this is what I, this is what we agreed on. And you're, you're doing the other thing. We were going to do this thing and you're, you want to, you're doing that thing. And that's not what we agreed upon. That's the main point. But in doing the contract, you have the freedom to essentially like waive some of the rules, some of the ones that are set on you. Um, obviously, if you're obligated to do something, you need to fulfill that duty. You can't, you have to fulfill it if it's in the contract. That's a big part of this as well, is that if you're setting parameters for the client, um, then you need to adhere to your own parameters. That is huge. Otherwise, all the stuff that I'm saying doesn't really matter. If you're being an asshole, then you can't expect them to be nice either. <clears throat> so, like I said, contracts are really great for managing expectations. And again, they don't have to be legally binding. You can just, it's, it's good to have them legally binding. You can have a lawyer do it if you can afford it. But if you can't, it's just an outline of what's expected of everybody. And that is huge. And it's a lot easier to have it in one document than to have it in a bunch of emails. Next is deposit. Again, this doesn't necessarily have to go with contract, but it would be in your contract if you had one. Um, deposits, essentially, it helps It helps you see whether your client is even able to pay. Like if, you, if I say, oh, I need a 50% deposit on that, and my client says, oh, you know, I don't know about that. Clearly, this guy, he either doesn't have the money or he doesn't want to pay you. Uh, either way, that's no good for you. So I feel like deposits show an intent to pay and an ability to pay and it also reserves your time so if they cancel on you and you keep that 50 percent deposit it's a justification for saying no to other work on that date so if i book for april 1st i book if i book my client on april 1st and then they bail on you know uh fuck i'm no oh god i've booked myself what are the months january february march April. Okay. So they bail on March 30th. I keep the, I keep the deposit because I could have worked on April 1st. Um, but in this case, since they bailed on me, I booked that day off. And since it's so close, I'm probably not going to get anything again. So it guarantees that you're not getting screwed over and your time isn't wasted. The biggest part though, again, is guaranteeing that your client is willing to pay and has the money to pay. I think that's a really, really big thing. Um, a friend of mine, I typically do 50% up front, so I get, regardless of, of what it is, sometimes sometimes it's a bit different, but most of the time I get 50% up front before I start the project, like a week before, and then as soon as I hand them the final edit, I get the other 50%. I have a friend who does 50% up front, and then another 25% after the shoot, and then another 25% after the edit, and this guarantees that they're getting paid for every single step of the way. I just, I haven't tried that yet. I'd be interested to try it, but uh, a friend of mine says that it works pretty well, and it seems to make sense. I like that, and I might implement that in uh, in future. So, 
now we get to the real the real meat of this podcast, and that is the nuclear option. What do you do if you you've you've done all this, you've done your due diligence, you made sure that uh, you know all the expectations are set, or you didn't do that, and the client is still trying to fuck you. Um, the client's like, sorry, um, you need to film this and this and that before we pay you. Or they're just saying, no, we don't want to pay you for whatever reason. Th- the biggest thing, I'm again, speaking from a filmmaker's perspective, is that the, the product that you made, your footage, is the most, it's the most valuable thing you have at that point. That's all your leverage. The footage that you have is your leverage. So I, I often have coffee with other filmmakers, as most freelancers do, and I've heard the situation from a lot of newer filmmakers where they're having trouble getting paid after they've sent the footage. And my response is always like, why, why would you send them the video if you didn't get paid? That's the whole thing. You can't like walk out of the store with a candy bar uh, without paying. You, know, you can't like try the candy bar and be like, ah, this candy bar is no good, and then just stomp on it and walk out without paying. That's just not how it works. You'll get arrested. Maybe not over a candy bar, but it's just a bit of a dick move. So the point is that that footage is your leverage. That it, the, the product that you created for them is yours until they've paid you. doesn't matter how mean they are. doesn't matter how bad they need it. If they need it like in two hours and they're like, we need that video right now and they haven't paid you, you say, sorry, you're going to have to pay me before you get this video. And to some people that might sound harsh, but a good client would have paid you on time already. You know, they promised to pay you. It was in the contract. It was in the emails or whatever. You you talked about it on the phone. Even if you didn't do your due diligence to get that done and you know they owe you, you have no obligation to send them that. So what I do to keep the leverage and to keep it amicable without losing my leverage and while still keeping the client happy, I've got a few little tips. So when you're sending um, drafts, don't send full resolution drafts and Make sure that so make sure that your your drafts are low resolution so that they're like basically unusable. What I'll do is if I'm shooting something, even if I'm shooting at 4K, it doesn't matter. I'll downscale it to 720p and then I do like two to five megabits a second, and that just makes it you know it's viewable. They can get the general idea of it, um, but it's it's soft and they can't really post it on anything without it looking like shit. And then not only do I do that but I'll put a time code right over the footage to uh, in a spot that is like not easily cropped. Like if they cropped it, it would look like super garbage. <clears throat> so you can put a watermark if you want to do it. You can put a timestamp. What I do is I put my timestamp to like 5% transparency. So it doesn't distract from the footage, but it's still very there. Like they can't post it without people seeing these numbers. So this keeps my leverage through the editing process. When a client asks me for a version, I send them a shitty version that they can review. That way they don't run away with my footage. And it's nothing personal. I have clients that I've worked with for years that I still do this with because you never know. Someone at the company might not like me or someone at the company might feel like they own this footage already. Somebody new. You never know. So it doesn't matter what the situation is. If I haven't been paid yet, always sending a low resolution watermark version of the video because that's just it's just the smart thing to do so if they're pressuring you uh, this is a situation i was in um a couple of years ago where they were pressuring me to give them the footage like now they were like we're sh- we need to put this footage up and you still haven't sent it to us yet and i was like yeah well 
Yeah, the original agreement was for three revisions. You asked for nine revisions, and you still haven't paid me. So I basically, a, a lot of people I know um, in that situation have sent the video. They'll just send the video, and they'll be like, oh, we'll get paid later. Um, but this particular client was pretty difficult throughout the entire process. I didn't trust them. So obviously I didn't. I said, sorry, if you want the full resolution, you're going to have to pay me. You have my info. Send me an e-transfer. And that's exactly what they did. They paid me right away. And I didn't work with them again because <laughs> they were a shit client. That's just, that's, that's it. A lot of people feel like, obviously in this industry and a lot of creative industries, your reputation is everything. The way people perceive you dictates how often you're going to get hired. But especially with clients, there's so many clients to go around realistically and you, it's, it's hard to work with people who won't work with you. And so sometimes it's best to just cut your losses and get paid rather than risk not getting paid. Because even if you make them feel good by sending them the video right away, they're never going to pay you and they're not going to hire you again because they haven't paid you. It's not worth, sometimes it's just not worth preserving the feelings of your client when it comes to money, because this isn't just a hobby, not for me and not for a lot of people. It's just, it's, it's fun, but it's not a hobby. It's a living. So you need to treat yourself like a business. You know, they're grown adults too. They agreed to pay you. And if they're not paying you, don't feel bad about that. That's their fault. So stick to your guns. Your footage is your leverage. Obviously, this isn't the ideal situation. You don't want to get to a point with your clients where you're arguing with them about, um, you know, about versions and, and, and getting paid because it's just not a good way to maintain a client uh, relationship, obviously. So that's where the managing expectations comes into play. And then <clears throat> on top of managing expectations, you need to make sure that you're doing your due diligence in making sure that you're fulfilling everything that you agreed to fulfill, everything that's in the contract, everything that's in your emails, anything you said over the phone, it's your job to make sure that you're fulfilling it to the best of your abilities. If you've done that and they're still trying to fuck you over, then stick to your guns, man. Don't, don't let people push you around. I let people push me around a lot in the start of my career and I paid for it. It took me a really long time to actually start making money because I was letting people push me around. I was not getting paid for things, or I was getting paid way less than I should have, or I was working way too much on shit that I shouldn't have been working on. Stick to your guns. Your work is valuable. <clears throat> oh, yeah, and I one little comment on uh, last-minute shoots. Sometimes a contract isn't always practical in a last-minute shoot situation. Like if someone's like, yo, I need you to like shoot this sick-ass music video. I've been planning it for months. My DP dropped off, and I need, like, someone, like, right now. Um, that happens. Every now and then, you get a last-minute shoot. It's a really good opportunity, or it's really good pay. Um, sometimes it's difficult to do this type of due diligence. The most important thing is to agree on a rate as fast as possible. Say, okay, this is how much it's going to cost. Do it in writing. Um, if you don't have time to draft up a contract, at least do it in email, and you need them to confirm it. That's an important thing. You need to know that they saw it. Um, yeah, send them your rate, outline, uh, how long you're going to work, how much you're going to work, what you're going to do and what you get paid for, confirm it and go with it, but don't just jump into it and figure out the money later. I've done that. Also never a good situation usually leads to haggling after you've done the work. Um, so yeah, you're still managing expectations even in the last minute. And if they can't put up with that, then say no.
The power of saying no will set you free. We'll get a lot. We'll get into that very in depth throughout this podcast. Um, but the power of saying no will get you. It will set you free. <sighs> Alrighty. I think uh, I think I ranted a little bit. Hopefully, this has been entertaining so far. That's the end of the prepared segment of this podcast. At this point, I've got uh, a few comments. I've got a few stories and tips from viewers like yourself. Again, if you want to submit comments and questions to this podcast about anything that we're making, uh, follow me on Instagram, follow me on Twitter. I'll keep you updated. So now, let's get into some questions. So I haven't really thought about these. I haven't really read about them. I've, I've read over them, obviously, because they're on my computer. But at this point, I haven't really thought about the answers. So let's just do it. <clears throat> so the first one from FamWow on Instagram is, how do you price your work fairly for both yourself and your clients? For myself and my clients? Well, frankly, it's obviously it's like a buyer's market or whatever they say. You want to make sure that your rates aren't ridiculous, but I feel like the rate should be mostly based on how valuable you perceive your own work as. And the only way to kind of figure that out is to talk with other creatives, figure out uh, what their rates are, compare their work to yours, compare their style to yours, um, their gear, the amount of gear that they have. But it's mostly an experience I spent a lot of time doing shoots for like 100 bucks a day, you know, and then they just and I wouldn't specify how many hours and get totally screwed over on the day, you know, work like 14 hours for like 100 bucks, you know, using all my own gear and my own gas money and you end up with with zero. Um, I mean, we'll get more into that in another podcast on, on setting your rates, but essentially as much as it's important to consider your clients. I think you're, there's the rate that you set should be mostly based on your own value and you should be prepared to say no. Um, this actually, there's three questions that are sort of about this. The next one comes from Tom dot I dot am Tom. I am on Instagram. How do you let your clients know about the price increases without sounding like an asshole? Um, this is an interesting one because I've had this sort of, I've asked this question to myself a couple times. I have a couple long-running clients, and I don't really raise the prices on them specifically. And it depends on like how close it is to my current rate. Currently, I've raised my rate quite a bit, and I still charge some of my older clients like the same rate. And it's mostly out of respect. But that said, if you're hell bent on changing your rate, don't be afraid to tell your client, "Hey, sorry, I charge more now." Like. That's just how business works. You don't go to the gas station one day and it's 99 cents and you go to the gas station the next day and it's like $1.25, you know? That's that's just the way it works. Sometimes the price changes. So if you want to change your price without sounding like an asshole, you just have to do it. Um, there's, you're not, I don't think you sound like an asshole in my opinion. It's just, the important thing is to just pick your rate and go with it. Be willing to lose clients. If you're going to increase your rate, if you're hell-bent on increasing your rate, um, you're going to have to be willing to lose those clients. There's no way you're going to get around it, but it's just business. You have to treat yourself like a business, and your product is getting better, so it's getting more expensive. It costs more to make your product, so you're charging more. 
That said, um, for some of my clients, like I said, I still charge them my old rate, but my new clients that come in are all getting my new rate. And that's just because I like my old clients and the old rate really isn't much different than my new rate. And it's worth it to keep that relationship going. But definitely um, when I get more gear and it becomes more of a burden on me, um, I will definitely change my rate on those clients. That's just the way it's going to work. Um, because I need to make money and it's valuable saying no. It's valuable saying no because even though, you know, you can say yes to 10 gigs that pay you $100 or you can say no to nine gigs that pay you $100 and yes to one gig that pay you $1,000. If you're setting your rates, um, you're never going to know. If you're always lowering your price, you're never going to know how much people are willing to pay. So setting a rate, letting people fizzle off, and doing less work for more money frees you up to do your own creative projects, it frees you up to find more clients, and in the end, you're gonna get paid way more. That's my philosophy on it. If you wanna change your rates, just fucking do it. <clears throat> Speaking of rates, Fierce Sound on Twitter, quoting Gary Vee, says, if you're in demand, raise your rates until you hear, <clears throat> ah, let me get start that again. So Fierce Sound on Twitter, and he's quoting very heat. I need some water. God damn it. All right. Fierce Sound on Twitter. He's quoting Gary Vee here. He says, if you're in demand, raise your rates. Until you hear 30 no's, don't lower it. And I really like that. It's a good benchmark to sort of set for yourself. But realistically, like, there's no number of no's that you can accept before you lower your rate again. It's more of like a feeling the industry. You talk with your friends, you figure out what they charge, and you can kind of base it off of that. Um, there's plenty of ways to figure out what other people charge. It's just a matter of networking. And if you know that your work is valuable, charge a lot for it. Charge whatever you want for it. That's, that's how this works. People can say no, and you can be okay with that. Um, focus, oh wait. Focus Pictures also, Focus Pictures on Instagram says, People should have an understanding of clients' expectations, revision numbers, and delivery dates. Exactly, exactly, exactly what we're talking about today is managing expectations. Um, like you said, they should have an understanding of clients' expectations, revision numbers, and delivery dates. That's your responsibility to communicate that to the client. And it's your responsibility to maintain that throughout the entire production. Before you're creating anything, it's your job to make sure everyone understands what they're doing how long it's going to take, and how much it's going to cost. Ooh, and actually, I have an audio clip from a friend here. I'm going to pull it up, and he's got some great, um, he's got some great advice for not working directly with clients. A lot of people don't work directly with clients. Sometimes you get hired onto other people's shoots, and you're working as a subcontractor. Here's, here's Ralphie boy. Hopefully you can hear this. Yo, man, so I got a tip for you. Um, when you're talking about dealing with clients, specifically talk about too about subcontracting for other creators and how you must produce both an estimate and a contract and treat them as the client. That subcontractor is the client and their client, you have to treat them nicely, but they're not the ones to go to when it's time to get paid. So make sure you put that in your little test podcast because that's going to be a really cool tip to have and because it's part of my I story did. of how I got burned pretty badly by one client. Perfect. So I don't know if you guys heard that super clearly, but basically boiled down, he's saying that 
sometimes you get hired as a crew member on someone else's crew, essentially. It's mostly like in a corporate case, I guess. You get hired as a crew member on someone else's crew. And I've had this where I hire somebody who's a little inexperienced to do something else. And the client sometimes can change the parameters of the shoot. So let's say I'm hiring you. I've agreed on things with the client um, and then you go on the shoot and the client tries to change those parameters. They try and get more out of you. You know, they add hours to the day. They add, you know, questions to the interview, uh, what have you. The most important thing when you're a subcontractor is to say, oh, I'll talk to, you know, the person that hired me about that. So in that case, if I hired you, you would, if a client has any issues whatsoever, or they want to add things or whatever, that you come to me as the person that hired you and I'll give you the yes or the no. But a lot of contractors, <clears throat> a lot of clients, excuse me, try and uh, sort of swindle the subcontractor. And as well, Ralph touched on as a subcontractor, the person being hired by the other creative, you, um, Excuse me, my thoughts getting dry. The person being hired by the other creative has, uh, you also have a responsibility to treat that client, to treat me as a client, essentially. You need to set those same expectations. So when I'm like, okay, the rate's 100 bucks, or you're like, okay, my rate's this much, whatever, um, you know, it's your job to continue to communicate that effectively and, you know, send your invoices at the end of the thing, at the end of the project. It's still the same client creative relationship. It's just with another creative. So when you're hired onto another thing as a crew member, you need to treat um, that creative that hired you as your client. Same process, setting expectations, doing your due diligence and submitting the invoice at the end, making sure that you get paid. Um, same process. Sometimes there's not always flexibility for a deposit on that kind of stuff. Usually it's lower paid work when you're doing subcontracted work. But it's still important to, to make sure that everybody knows um, what's happening, who's getting paid what, how long the hours are, um, especially when the client is trying to swindle you and get you to work more hours and do extra work. That is a huge thing. Really good point that I didn't even think to touch on. So thanks, Ralph. <clears throat> Kelly Visuals on Instagram says, have you ever, ever had a bad experience with clients? If so, when and what did they dislike? So when he says, what did they dislike? It makes me think that this is a situation in where I fucked up and I had a bad experience with a client because I fucked up. Well, I had a lot of bad experiences with clients when I first started. And I think that's pretty natural when you're someone who, you know, didn't go to film school. You don't have that opportunity to, you know, fuck up in a controlled environment. So I fucked up a lot in the real world for real clients and I pissed a lot of people off, and that's where a lot of this experience is coming from, learning how to uh, not piss people off, how to make your clients happy, and to get um, get the payment and stuff that you deserve. So, have I had any bad experiences with clients? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of ex uh, gigs that I took for like 60 bucks, and I let myself get overworked. There was one where I, I, I was working in another town, I took the job for, yeah, $60 a day. It was a feature film. The thing wasn't even in English. Like, everyone on set was talking a different language. It was very confusing. But I was, like, their main guy. I was the I was the general video guy. There was no director. There was no DP. I was kind of everything. And so I didn't know what the script said because it was all in some other language. 
and I just went with it. I just did it. I, I uh, and it, it was a horrible experience because it, they just had no, we set no expectations whatsoever. So I was working crazy long hours. I was paying for my own gas. So the $60 was just going through my, towards my gas. Um, you know, they were loading all my gear cause I didn't have any proper crew and like they fucked up some of my gear. Um, and at the end of it, I, there, we had a couple days left and I was like, listen, I, like, I have to get paid more. Otherwise I'm not doing this because that was a, it was one of my first clients. And it was the first time that I like tried to walk off a project. And I was like, listen, this is so, this is so insane. And like, I, I can't keep doing this at this rate. I need to get paid like at least like 200 bucks a day, which is still incredibly low, but it beats 60. And at least I'm like not out of pocket. So they said, yeah, that's cool. We'll do 200 a day. Um, and then I also said it needs to cap off at 12 hours. So 200, 200 a day, and then it can't be any more past 12 hours. So we get started on the next production day. It comes to the end of the day, and we hit the 12-hour mark. I, I, I decided to ignore it. I was like, that's fine, whatever. We'll, we'll go to, to 13 hours. So at 13 hours, uh, we finished the scene, and I was like, great. I'm going to pack up. That's awesome. And then the main actress goes, no, 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 no. We still have one more scene to shoot upstairs in the bedroom. It's like some some lovemaking scene. I don't know. And I was like, uh, sorry, that's not what I agreed to. I'm already here an hour past. And also part of my agreement was that I was going to get paid on the day. Because at this time, I didn't even have the gas money to get home. My bank account was at zero. So I was like, I need to get paid right now. And I'm going. So, you know, uh, the main actress had a bit of a fit. And the day ended. And the guy who was supposed to pay me wasn't there. He was at his other job. So not only did I not get paid, I overworked myself. Um, but I, you know, I kind of ruined the relationship with those guys too um, because I didn't set the expectations. I didn't understand the parameters of the project when I got onto it. And that was like a big lesson in setting those kinds of expectations and making sure that my ass was covered and the client's ass was covered before starting the project. So like I had to go, I was living, I was living in another town. So I had to like knock on my dad's door at like three in the morning to like, to borrow some gas money. Uh, yeah, it was pretty shit. So I, I got home and then I just didn't, I didn't shoot another day on that production. That was it. I think I sent them the footage and that was it. So that was, um, a shitty experience on production, but that was very, very early, early days. Um, and that's something, that's another experience that I'm trying to draw from and hopefully, uh, you guys can learn from my mistakes and yeah. So the next question comes from explain to me this on Instagram it says most positive experience go my most positive experience on set. And it still is my positive, most positive experience is I have a client, um, for the Calgary National Film Festival. And we do these super awesome skits every single year. They're like, you know, sometimes we parody, we basically, they're like film parodies starring the client. So it's like these old lawyer guys that, uh, old, excuse me, some of them are old. Um, <clears throat> it's these old uh, lawyer guys, you know, starring in, in these like, you know, film parodies that I, you know, I, tr I do my best to, to be true to the genre that we're shooting. So they're very like well-produced, but it's, you know, they're comedies. It's funny. It's sort of like this interjection of like this old dude, like waving around a lightsaber. So that's my best. Those are my best film experiences consistently. They've been my client for like, I think we're going on six years now coming up. I'm shooting a, a Western with them. Biggest budget yet. It's going to be fucking awesome. Can't wait to shoot that. Um, but 
believe it or not, these were this is one of my clients that uh, they started out as a very very low paid client. It was I I took the job for like two hundred bucks I think, and I had to rent some gear. I got a parking ticket and I had to pay two people on the shoot. So I basically made zero dollars on that shoot. But when they handed me the cash, they handed me the two hundred dollars in cash. I was so excited and that was a, one of the first shoots where I like I did all my due diligence there was no issue with the clients um, we all knew what was expected of us and the product came out magnificently and they're still one of my longest running clients because I managed those expectations and as the year went on they got more budget for bigger projects they trusted me more and now we're doing you know big things it's really fun so that was my best that's my most positive experience so far um, and it continues to be to this day. Hopefully one of them are listening because I really appreciate them and I appreciate you. That's the end of the questions. Um, if you want to submit more questions for the next podcast, I'm going to be posting the subject on my Instagram and my Twitter. Again, that's at film Miker. Um, like I said, there's no official start date to this podcast thing. Um, basically when this comes out, as soon as I release this, you can expect more podcasts. So it's going to be every single Monday be a new podcast with new creators. I got some great people lined up. I'm really excited to share their experiences and talk about cool, fun shit. But for now, like I said, just a test. New podcast every single Monday. InstaVlog with behind the scenes and fun, cool shit that I'm doing on my Instagram twice a month, every two weeks, and on my IGTV. One big main channel video on my YouTube. So if you enjoyed this, um, this is going to be available wherever podcasts are available. Subscribe to my YouTube channel if you like the video version and if you want to see all my other shit. Thanks for watching. And, you know, I might as well play you out. Let's play. Let's, let's get that. Um, yeah. Thanks for watching. And I will see you on the next on the next Filmmaker Podcast. Thanks everyone for joining me on this experience of light and alchemy and sound. I hope to see you again. Um, hopefully next time there will actually be some al alchemy. Um, it's been lovely. Bye now. Man, this clip is a lot longer than I thought it was. Oh, it's ending. Allow your mind to take a journey. Oh, fuck, we missed that. <laughs> we missed that on the intro. Oh, it's starting again. All right, that's it. Bye now.